you have uh, God's Word, I hope you do have your Bible, uh, open, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll begin this morning. And as you're making your way there, uh, by way of introduction before we get there, last week uh, we began the new year in this new series entitled First that you see behind me by looking at the incredible story surrounding David and um, what David did right after he had first become king. And, and uh, you know, from the Bible last week, we saw how that once David was anointed as king, the first thing that he wanted to do was he said, listen, we need to restore God's presence to its rightful place. And so he set out to go and retrieve the Ark of the Covenant. And so we talked about that last week, that that was the very first thing. It was important to David that he restore God's presence to its rightful place. And I said, as we're beginning a new year, it's important for each and every one of us to do the same, to put God back where he belongs into our lives as we enter into a new year filled with opportunity and promise and hope and, and all of these great things, we must make God first in our lives. And, and truly, when he becomes first, the reality, when, when God becomes the priority of our lives, Everything else, it's been, my, it's been my experience that everything else seems to fall in place. When, when I make God first, everything seems to fall in place. When the Lord is on the throne of my heart, right? Stewardship, which first is all about stewardship, really. Stewardship actually uh, becomes really easy. The stewardship of my influence, the stewardship of God's word, the stewardship of my resources... The stewardship of whatever else, you fill in the blank, all of God's gifts, all of his blessings, it, it doesn't really amount to much if God is on his rightful throne and first in my life. So this morning, look with me in Matthew chapter 6. I want to continue our journey in this series entitled First by looking really at a familiar passage of scripture. And so let's read together. Drop down with me though. I want you to look at beginning in verse number 25. Look at beginning in verse 25 what God's word has to say. And in my Bible it's red, which means what? Who's saying these words? Okay, so Jesus is actually giving us these words this morning. It's his word and he's actually, these are words that he spoke. He said, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? He asked the question. Verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying what we shall eat, or what we shall drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day 
is the evil thereof. Let's open with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness to us. And God, I thank you that your mercy is more. God, we're uh, sometimes very slow, very, very slow to offer grace and mercy to one another. But God, I'm thankful that your mercies are new every morning. I'm thankful for your great love wherewith you have loved each and every one of us by sending your son Jesus Christ to this earth to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, to be buried in a borrowed tomb and to arise three days later according to the scriptures, conquering death, hell and the grave. God, I'm so thankful for that. Lord, I pray that today that you would open up our, our hearts, that we might receive your word, that it would fall upon the good soil of our hearts as we continue this series and we look at really what should be first in our lives. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that today would be that day, that time that they realize that they are in need of forgiveness and that they would call out upon the Lord for the forgiveness of sin and God, that they might have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each believer here in this room or those that are listening. God, that you'll draw our hearts close to thee. Lord, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you'll do through your word today. And we pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior. And for his sake, all of God's people said, amen and amen. Look back with me, and we'll zero right in. Look back with me on verse number 33. Very, very familiar verse of scripture. And I don't want to do it in injustice. I don't want to take it out of context. But let's look at it very quickly. Jesus says, but seek ye first. He says, this is to be first. In 2020, he says, the first thing that you need to do is the first thing that you needed to do in 2019 and 2018 and 2017 and all the way back as you have had breath. But he says, here's another opportunity, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So we need to ask ourselves, what is this verse, what is this passage actually trying to say or to communicate to us? Contextually, like I said, I don't want to do a disservice, but contextually, Jesus is warning his disciples then, and he's warning us as his disciples now about the distraction of anxiety. Anybody ever worry about something? Nobody? Yeah. I think we, all, we are all guilty of worry. We are all guilty of this. And, and so contextually, he's saying, listen, I, I want to warn you about this distraction of anxiety, this danger that comes along when we are ensnared by the things that are temporal. Remember, we're talking about what are you going to wear? What are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? And Jesus said, hey, listen, don't take thought for those things. The thing that you really need to be concerning yourself with is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of those things, all of those temporal things will be added unto you. I said it last week, I I've told people before, listen, Psalm 37, 4 talks about the idea of delighting thyself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, right? We have to seek him first. But what's interesting here about this passage is prior to this, prior to this, and I didn't read it on purpose, but if you look in your, in your Bibles, look back at verse 21. The Bible says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then if you drop down to verse number 24, right, he says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So to be sure, it makes no difference. 
It actually makes no difference whether a person is financially rich or whether a person is financially poor because when we are consumed by the almighty dollar, those little George Washingtons, when we're consumed by that or any other thing, really, to be honest, any of the other cares of this world, right? The anxieties that we all get consumed with, you know, uh, the anxious about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, where we're going to live, what kind of car we're going to drive, what kind of job we're going to have. When we start worrying and, and we're consumed with all of these other things, it's very easy. I'll just be honest with you. It's very easy to get sidetracked, right? We start thinking about all the other things that are coming our way. In fact, one of the dangers on Sundays is that we come to God's house and we have the greatest intentions, right? We, we intentionally bring ourselves to the Lord's house and then we don't allow ourselves to worship because we're consumed with anxiety about this afternoon or tomorrow. We're already thinking about, oh, I got to get up early because I got a uh, doctor's appointment over across town and I got to get in traffic because, you know, I-66 is crazy. And instead of thinking about worshiping God, instead about learning from God, I'm already worried about tomorrow. He says, don't take, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. You remember the old song, I think it was Frank Sinatra who used to sing, let's forget about tomorrow, let's forget about tomorrow, let's forget about tomorrow for tomorrow never comes. Y'all never listen to Frank Sinatra, evidently. <laughs> old Blue Eyes is upset with you. <laughs> Oh, listen, we must remind ourselves, folks, we must remind ourselves daily that God is the giver, He is the provider, He is the sustainer of our lives. He, quite frankly, here's a great way of saying it, He owns it all. By the way, I love that. He actually not only owns the cattle, He owns the hills. They're His hills. Well, no, I got the paper that says I own it. You have nothing. You have nothing without Jesus Christ, right? And so we have to remind ourselves that we should be seeking him first. By the way, look at verse 33 again. Because that word seek, just that word seek where Jesus says seek ye first. The word seek actually means to seek. Pretty interesting, huh? It means, <laughs> no, I'm going to give you more than that. I was, I was just waiting for your reaction. It means to seek, to desire. Watch this or to pursue. So what Jesus is saying is that our number one pursuit in 2020, our number one pursuit this morning should be the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying we should pursue him first with our time. Uh-oh. We should pursue him first with our attention. We should pursue him first with all of our heart. And folks, when that's the case, it's going to be proof text for what happened before. We're not going to be laying up treasures for ourselves where moth and rust doth corrupt. We're going to be laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Amen. When we seek or pursue him first with our time, our attention, and our heart. In fact, someone has said it this way. They said the business of our salvation ought to captivate us entirely. All of our desires, our cares, and our inquiries should first be directed to God and his kingdom. Amazing. During his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, in what we refer to here as the Beatitudes, is basically painting a beautiful portrait, a beautiful portrait of a person who has a new heart. He's speaking to people whose heart has been changed by God. And so he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
I was thinking earlier this week, it was that great theologian of yesteryear and NASCAR racer on the big screen known to all as Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby put it this way, if you ain't first, you're last. Now apply that to scripture. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If Jesus is not first, according to Ricky Bobby, he's what? He's last. That's dangerous, folks. You know, if you sow to the wind, the Bible says we reap a what? A whirlwind. We want to know why we're not experiencing power in our lives. We want to know why God is not working in our lives. Listen, I've learned throughout my lifetime that when I personally have failed to put God first and have replaced him with some other, watch this air quote, thing, and I've done that before. I've replaced God before in my life. I'm no different than you. And I've replaced him sometimes with a thing that I thought was greater or bigger or more important in the moment. But I can tell you that in those times when I've done it, bad things seem to happen. When I, when I elevate myself and I remove God's presence from his rightful position and I decide to reclaim the throne of my heart, I decide to take the steering wheel, so to speak. I don't let Jesus take the wheel anymore. I decide to do things on my own. What I've realized is that all kind of bad things begin to happen. Because you see, my ways and my thoughts are not God's ways and his thoughts. Oh, listen, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. But let's be honest, who else in this room, who else listening online struggles with that besides me? Anybody ever struggle with seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? I got news for you. Tomorrow morning when somebody cuts you off in, in traffic, you're, gonna be, you're not going to be thinking about seeking Jesus first. I mean, let's be honest. Do we, have, do we have any aggressive drivers in our midst? Never mind, that's a different message. I know we have some. I get reports on y'all. <laughs> uh, listen, sometimes our struggles, here's the, here's the reality. Sometimes our struggles in life come from outside sources. Now watch this. Sometimes the struggles come from outside sources. You know, sources like the world and the devil. Does anybody here besides me hate the devil? I hate the devil. He's a liar and a murderer. But sometimes these struggles that we deal with come from outside sources. But here's the, here's the sobering factor. Sometimes our struggles come from within. Sometimes we give the devil too much credit for what he's not even doing. The devil's like, I haven't even talked to you. I haven't even, I haven't even been walking in your neighborhood lately, and yet we give him credit. By the way, you want to keep the devil away? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember, I, I finished last week where James says, draw an eye to God, and he will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify yourselves. That's what James 4, 8 says, right? And so we talked about that last week. The crazy thing is, and I'll give you a proof, this isn't even in my notes, but hey, whatever, right? You remember Job, Job chapter 1, God has the staff meeting and the devil has to show up for the staff meeting. And the first question God asks the devil, he says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And I'm going to paraphrase for you, this is the GC version. The devil says, no, 
I haven't considered Job because your hand is all over him. Who wants God's hand to be all over him? Then seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, because the devil basically tells God, says, no, I haven't been seeking Job because he's a hardened target. Like a terrorist, he's not going to go after a hardened target. He goes after easy targets. Now, you say, well, he's attacked me and I've been living for the Lord. I didn't say he's not going to seek who he can devour. I didn't say he's not going to try to deceive you. I didn't say he's not going to try to rule your life and accuse you and destroy your life. But what I did say is I can show you from Job that the reason the devil said, no, I haven't considered Job, is because God says uh, he's a man that eschews evil. This is the devil. He says he turns away from evil. No, I haven't chased after him. Your hand's all over him. Why would I attack him? And God says, well, go ahead. Go ahead, try. You see, we have to understand that seeking God first is truly, truly important. I like what John says at the end of his uh, letter to Christians at this point all over Asia Minor. Uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 John chapter 5. He literally ends this by saying these words. Watch this. In verse 21 he says, little children. Uh-oh. He says, little children, keep yourselves from what? From idols and then... He's in agreement with what he said. He says, amen. See, so what is an idol? We have to ask ourselves an idol because in the context of what Jesus said, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. He said, stay away from the danger of being absorbed with the temporal things. Stay away from putting treasure up for yourself where it's going to rust and corrupt and, and God cannot serve, a uh, man cannot serve two masters and all these things. He says, he says here, John says, hey, stay away. Keep away, keep yourselves from idols. And so I was thinking, what is an idol? So here's what Merriam-Webster says. Merriam-Webster defines idol as an object of extreme devotion, a representation or symbol of an object of worship, a false god. The English poet, I, I, I did some extensive research. The English poet from the early 1800s, a gentleman by the name of P.B. Shelley, shared this about idols. He said, an idol has a form or appearance that's visible but without substance. In other words, what P.B. Shelley said, he says, it's useless. Idols are useless. Say useless. They are useless. Don't fall in love with an idol, right? They're useless. The free dictionary, I like free things. And so I even looked at the free dictionary. The free dictionary says this. It says idols are sometimes good things. Excuse me. Free dictionary says idols are any material image that is worshipped. I jumped ahead. In other words, what the free dictionary is saying is that it is anything or anyone that receives the primary focus of our energy and our resources that should first belong to God and Him alone. So that's what they were saying. What I started to read to you was one pastor has put it this way. He said idols are sometimes good things that we make into God things, little g, which then become bad things. Good things that we make into God things that inevitably become bad things. And so some of you are probably saying, I get it. But why are you talking to me about idols? Why are you talking to me about uh, idols and, and what they are? I don't have an idol problem. But don't we? Everywhere I look around, it seems like I see more and more idols rearing their ugly head. Not in the lives of just unbelievers, but in the lives of believers. 
Turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. That's all the way back near the beginning. <laughs> In Exodus chapter 32. And when we pick up the story, what you'll know, what you need to know is that Moses has been meeting with God on, on Mount Sinai and he's been receiving the Ten Commandments for the first time. He's been receiving the commandments and instructions from the Lord. But while he's away, the people become impatient, right? They become impatient, and, and so people take matters into their own hands. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to take matters into your own hands, and it doesn't work out well? <laughs> I've tried to do that before. I told the story a long time ago how I tried to take matters into my own hands after I got married, right? And what? You guys didn't even let me tell you what I was going to say. You guys are so, you're like quick draw. I tried to take matters into my own hand. I thought I was doing a good thing. I decided to do the laundry. Randy, I heard your laugh. I tried to take matters into my own hand. I did all the laundry. I was doing big things, right? Until I opened up the dryer and saw that my wife's 100% wool sweater looked like it would fit a little doll. Man, I was stretching and I was pulling and I was doing all this to that thing. And I knew I was in hot water. So I did what every red-blooded husband, newlywed would do. No, I didn't buy her a new one, Chuck. <laughs> I hid it. Man, I hit that joker. Man, I, I was like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and there wasn't a, no amount of prayers that were going to save me. I folded that thing up as small as I could, and I went back up. We had one closet, and I went up, and I jumped up, and I threw it in the back corner, you know, on top of all those sweaters and coats and shirts that you never wear, right? And I put it in the back, and I was like praying, Lord, Lord, please don't let her ever wear that again. We'll find it years from now. No, no. She found out real quick. Where's my wool sweater? Oh, listen, Exodus chapter 30. We get impatient sometimes, don't we? We take matters in our own hands. But look here in Exodus chapter 32. It's amazing to me. In fact, the other day I started reading it, and I started laughing out loud. And people in the office were like, what are you laughing about? Let's read and maybe you'll see. In verse number 1, Exodus 32, the Bible says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up! They said, Get up! Is essentially what they're saying. They're, get up! Right? Watch what they say. Make us gods which shall go before us. Hold on a second. Time out. Do you not already have a god? Do you not already have someone who led you out of Egypt? Do you not already have somebody who's providing manna? Do you not have a God that's already doing great and mighty things? He's doing exceeding and abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. Took you out of that bondage and brought you into the land that flows with milk and honey. And you didn't like it so you're afraid to go into the land. Is this the same thing we're talking about? These people say go make us gods that'll go before us. How impatient. Now watch what happens. He says get up. Make us gods which should go before us. For as for this Moses, are you kidding me right now? For as for this Moses guy, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. We don't know what's happened to him. He might be dead. 
I know he was going up to talk to God, but we haven't seen him in a long time. We have no clue where he's at. So you get up and you make us a God that will go before us. This is what they're telling Aaron. Now look at what verse 2 says. Aaron, he really puts up a fight, doesn't he? Give me a break. Aaron said unto them, break off golden earrings. All right, y'all want me to make you God? Good, let me do it. He says, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. Verse 4, and he received them at their hand and fashioned it with the graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they, watch this, and they, speaking about all the people, said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Are you kidding me right now? It's like, he makes the golden calf. Let's pretend that's a golden calf. These be the gods that brought us up out of the land. Are you kidding me right now? But don't we do the same thing? See, oh, soon, how soon we forget the God of our salvation if we're not careful. But folks, let me remind you, the golden calf is not an idol by itself. That, that music stand is not an idol by itself. The golden calf only becomes an idol when the people decide and when the people begin to bow down and worship it. Same thing in our lives. Things only become God, little g, become false gods, idols in our life. When we decide, and sometimes we don't even verbally decide it, we decide it in our heart. We don't even say anything and we start worshiping it. We have no clue what's going on. Listen, I'm afraid that we live in a culture today that celebrates idols while denigrating the one true God. But notice what God says about this decision. Look at verse number 7. Verse number 7, same, same chapter, Exodus 32. And the Lord said unto Moses, he says, get thee down for thy people, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt. What does he say about the people? He says, they have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside. Now watch this next word. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Oh, how quickly. How quickly something can get a hold of our hearts. How quickly it can take the place of the God of the universe if we're not careful when we fail to seek and pursue him. When we fail to seek ye first the kingdom of God, it can become very easy to take God off of the throne and to put some other thing on our heart's throne. In Romans chapter 1, in verse number 21, the Bible tells us that when those who knew God it tells us that when the people, those who knew God, it says when they glorified him not as God and neither were they thankful, it says this, it says that it led to their foolish hearts being darkened. But if you go on and read the passage in verse 22 and following, notice what the Bible says. It says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. That's a different message for a different time. 
Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The point is, whenever we worship or put anything else before or above God, it's idolatry. When I, when I walk away from here, if something is more important to me than worship of God, putting, keeping God in his rightful place, pursuing that relationship that we have with God, if something becomes more important to me than that, it's idolatry is what the scripture is saying. In fact, the psalmist, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 135 that we actually, this is kind of a crazy thing, and I've, I've heard different messages about this. The psalmist tells us that we actually become what we worship. Right? If we worship Jesus Christ, we become Christ-like. If we worship something else, we don't. But watch what the psalmist says in verse 15 and 18. It says, the idols of the heathen, uh-oh, he says, are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. They have eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. Look at verse 18. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusts us in them. Oh, friends, I've witnessed it time and time again. It doesn't matter whether it's money or whether it's some other thing in our life. Idols have a way of taking all that we have. Watch this. They have a way of taking all that we have and never deliver on what they promise. Have you ever had something you thought, man, this is going to be the best thing for my family. I'm going to do great things with my family. And you're following something other than God's word. I'm going to listen to uh, such and such. This is what Dr. Such and Such or this book or this, this other person says for me and my family. And so I'm going to listen to them more than I listen to God's word. And then we wonder why our family's in ruins. Right? And that's just a simple illustration. It doesn't matter what it is. If we put it before God. Oh, the folly of idol worship is that it's only for this life, but the beauty of pursuing God and his kingdom first is that his kingdom lasts forever and ever and ever. <laughs> you know, it's like that Francis Chan illustration. The rope just keeps on going, just keeps on going, right? Oh, the idols of our lives will never help us when we need them the most. Been there, done that, and tried it. They'd never help us when we need them the most. Think about it. When we lose a loved one, how good is the God of pleasure? When we lose a job, how will false gods help us out? When we are faced with tragedy in our lives, which idol is coming out to rescue us? When the idol of self with our abilities, our smarts, and our whatever, you fill it in the blank. When it comes up short, what do we do then? See, I've been there, done that, tried it and failed. But what I've learned is that life is short. Anybody else agree? You say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on up there. Life seems to, be, seems to be pretty long. No, it's short. Comparatively speaking, it's short, which is why Moses prayed in Psalm 90 and verse number 12. He said, oh, so teach us to number our days. He was praying to the Lord. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts, oh, to wisdom. It was poet C.T. Studd who said it this way when he wrote, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. My friends, as we begin this new year, we need to identify and eliminate 
the competition. And that's what I'm talking to you about. There's a competition that comes into play when we, when we set our hearts and our minds on seeking first the kingdom of God. And so we have to identify it and eliminate it. But the hardest part may be, may very well be for each and every one of us, the hardest part is seeing and recognizing those idols in our own life. Sometimes, right, we're, we're so close to the situation, we don't even see that we are struggling with a little idol or a big idol or a little God, lowercase g. Just because we don't bow down physically or worship some golden image does not mean that we don't have or don't struggle with idols in our life. In fact, most all of us have probably struggled at some point. Some idols I put down in my notes, sometimes they creep up on us. Remember, maybe they good things that become little g God things and invariably they become bad things. But truly, let me give you a little laundry list. And by the way, this is not a, a, a complete list. But they might be little smart, little uh, things that are harmless. Watch this list of idols. Maybe watching TV is an idol for you. Playing video games. Uh-oh, I know it's going to get real quiet on this list. Like, uh, you, you could skip the list. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I might have it covered. Uh, spending hours upon hours on our phone. Boy, oh boy, don't get me started. Never mind, I'll keep on. Buying or caring for a new car or a new toy. Man, you ought to see my new motorcycle. You ought to see my new car. You ought to see my new boat. Whatever it is, right? And what happens is, anybody ever seen that? You get a new car, and we are washing that puppy for six months. Like, every time we take it out, we just you just drove to the grocery store. You don't need to wash it again. Yeah, I do. It's, it, got, it got road dust on it, right? We wash it like it's, it's something else. And then after you drop a french fry in it, you stop washing it, right? you like, you make a commitment to yourself, like, I got a new car, no food in this car. And then you break your own commandment, and you start eating in the car. And then when you drop food or you have a spill, you're like, oh, there it goes, never mind, right? We're so, and, and we create the problem ourselves. Oh, playing sports. Playing sports can become an idol. Somebody at Greg Witt was asking me if I was going to play softball this year. I, I hope to play if I get permission from my wife. <laughs> Spending money on various things become an idol. Food been, can become an idol. And we can go on. There's so many other things that fit into this category. But no matter what it is, we can be sure, watch this, that whatever controls us... Whatever controls me becomes the God, little g, that I'm worshiping. God, I don't have time to serve you anymore. I don't have, I don't, I don't have time. I don't, I, I don't have time to help out with Upward. I don't have time to serve in a wonder. I don't have time to be in the choir. I don't have time to work in the nursery. I don't have time to be on the first impressions team. Or I don't have time for whatever. Fill in the blank, right? Because we've replaced seeking God first with something else. See, the stewardship of our time is not going to be a problem if he's first on the throne. The stewardship of my service and my submission to God is not going to be a problem if he's on the throne. The stewardship of my 
affection and love and influence is not going to be a problem if God is on the throne. The stewardship of, and I don't even have a wallet on me. My wife's taking that from me, right? The stewardship of my handkerchief, right? Well, no. The stewardship of whatever I have is not going to be a problem if God is in his rightful place on my throne, in the throne of my heart. So here's some questions I put down that we may need to ask ourselves. Number one, do I want this too much? Number two, has this thing become too important to me? Number three, how would I feel if it was taken away from me? Now, let me give you some examples where the rubber meets the road. What if my career was taken away from me? Would I still seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? What if the power that I may have in the workplace or in the home is taken away from me? What if my house is taken away from me? What if I lose all my possessions? What if I were to lose a child? What if I were to lose all my uh, earthly wealth? What if I were to lose my health? Would I still seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Would he still be on the throne of my heart? Listen, God has never promised us any of those things I just mentioned. The only thing God promises is and offers us is himself. He says, I loved you so much that I sent my son for you, to die for you. I proved my love this way, right? So this is what he offers us. In Exodus chapter 20, and I'm sure some of you are thinking, oh, he's going to get there soon at some point. In Exodus chapter 20, in verses number 3, 4, and 5, notice what God says. He says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Little g. He says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a... What does he say? He says, I'm a jealous God. Now, a lot of people will go, See, that's why I don't want to worship God. He's jealous, and jealousy is a sin. Folks, he's not talking about boyfriend, girlfriend type of jealousy. Like, oh, I saw you talking to him. I saw you talking to her. It's over. We're done. Splitzo. Dunzo. That's not what he's talking about here. This jealousy where he says, for I am a jealous God, what he's saying is, listen, I'm fully committed to you. I expect you to be fully committed to me. That's what he's meaning when he's speaking of jealousy. Verse number 4 and 5 of our text is pretty clear. God says, no idols, period. End of story. Don't make them, don't serve them, don't worship them. None, nada, over, done with, right? So what are some steps? You say, great. What are some steps that we can effectively use to deal with idols? And here they go, rapid fire. Number one, read God's word. What? I knew you were going to say that. Read God's word. Do you know that in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings chapter 22, when King Josiah, he was a young man, when King Josiah heard the scriptures read to him, the Bible says that his heart was so moved, talking about King Josiah, his heart was so moved that he laid waste to all the temples, all the idols, and to any structure that did not honor God. And so maybe after we read God's word, Maybe in our heart we might say it's time to get rid of those temples. It's time to get rid of those idols or these structures, anything in our life that doesn't honor God. That way, once I remove those things, I can actually become a better steward, a better manager of the things God's blessed me with. 
In fact, in 2 Kings 22, you can look at verse number 11, you can look at verse number 19, and they, I, the idea here is that Josiah, when he hears God's word, he rents his clothes, he weeps, and he repents, right? Because of the power of God's word. Got good news for you, because I get it all the time. Well, that's the Old Testament. Give me something in the New Testament. Congratulations, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. The Bible says this, watch. It says the word of God is quick and powerful. Oh, I love that it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is, I love this last part, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Is God first? Because God's word's going to reveal it. Right, So you want to you deal with idols, you want to deal with some false gods in your life, then get into God's word and read his word. Number two, recognize what's holy. We need to recognize what's holy. In Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse number 26, the Bible reveals how the priests in the Old Testament, they had stopped differentiating between uh, what was holy and what wasn't. And that's exactly what's taking place in our culture today, Right? In the Old Testament, they stopped differentiating between what was holy and what wasn't. And as I look around, that's what's going on today. In fact, the so-called lines between right and wrong, <laughs> we have so blurred those lines that we cannot see or tell when something has become an idol even in our own life. See, we're saying, well, and I've, I've heard it said this way before, what we like to do is like we like to walk the tightrope, Right? God says, stay away from it. Well, let me see how close I can get to this side. I got news for you. I'm not going to do it because I'm 53 and I'll fall off this thing. And that's exactly what will happen to every one of us. We try to walk the tightrope of God's word. You'll fall right off. You'll fall right off and before you know it, you'll be lulled to sleep. But the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 15 and 16, says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Oh, we need to recognize what's holy once again. And Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 1. In verse 15 and 16, he said, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Folks, we need to recognize what is holy. And then, if we're recognizing God as being holy, and we start pursuing holiness, I got news for you. Idol worship's not going to be a problem. The problem is when we stop recognizing what's holy. We stop recognizing God. We stop, we, we stop uh, allowing him to remain on the throne of our hearts. And then the last thing here, I said, read God's word, recognize what's holy. Number three, we need to learn to reverence the Lord again. We need to learn to reverence the Lord. Listen, when our desire is to honor, that word reverence means really to honor, to, to worship and to honor. When we honor the Lord, I got news for you, these other things, are going to take a back seat. And quite honestly, they'll probably fade from view. Have you ever done something for years and years and years, and then you, the Lord really gets a hold of your heart, and man, I tell you, my life was changed when God, a hold, God got a hold of my heart, right? And I was playing church for many, many years, and you know, I put on the, on the, on the airs and was going to church, and then God says, are, are you done playing? Are you done playing? Because I actually want to use you. 
I don't, want, I, I, don't, I don't want you sitting on the sideline. I, I got something for you to do. So if you're done playing, then I'm going to show you something. But if you want to play, go ahead. Just sit over there and play for a while. And so God had to get a hold of my heart on that thing. But when I started reverencing the Lord and honoring him the way that I knew that I should, other things became less important to me. I'll be honest, they just did. It's like some people say, how did you get from being, you know, like in the military and then you retired and then you went to Bible college and then you were in Missouri and then you were out here? How, how did that work? I don't know. All I can tell you is God. God took me one step at a time. I get up every morning. Yvonne, I get up every morning, usually without these on. I'm like, look in the mirror. Pull up, pull up the mirror, look at my bald spot. And then I ask, much like that fairy tale, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of all? But no, I ask all the time, I say, God, what are you thinking? Are you sure? Because if you're not sure, just let me know. It'll be cool. God's got something in store for each and every one of us. But he wants us to put him in his rightful place. He's not, I hear people all the time say, well, God never gave me this. God never did this in my life. Are you putting him first? He's not going to give you the desire of your heart until you delight yourself in him. Oh, we have to put him first. Psalmist said it this way. David said in Psalm 145, he said, I will extol thee, my God, O king, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. He says it again. And then verse 3, I love it. He says, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness, notice what he says. He says, it's unsearchable. It's unknowable how great our God is. You can't even think or imagine something too big or too bold for our God. You see, when God's greatness is first in our heart and mind, idol worship will be a thing of the past. And so my plea to each and every one of you today is if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's only one God who loved you first. Quit searching after a false God or some false idol in your life that will not bring you pleasure. Remember I said, idols promise a great gain, but they never produce what they say. They leave you always longing. And so maybe you're here and you're like, man, I've never asked God to forgive me. I've heard a lot about Jesus. I've heard a lot about God, but I've never really entered into a relationship with the Lord. Can I just say, what are you waiting for? Right? What are you waiting for? Because the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, it says, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one God who loved you and gave himself for you. Why not put him first? Put him first today. You say, I've never trusted Christ. Do it today. You don't need me to do it. You just simply need to call out upon the name of the Lord and ask him to forgive you, to come into your life and to change you from the inside out. But I'll tell you this, the Bible is pretty clear. After you do that, and I get this all the time, I see people that will raise their hand, they'll look at me and they'll say, I trusted Christ, but they never let anybody know. The Bible says that once we trust Christ, we ought to be letting people know. We ought to be taking a stand for him. There's no magic potion. <laughs> There's no magic potion. There's no idol that can take away my sin or your sin. 
The only one is Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you say, well, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, then I simply say, and I don't say this in condemnation, I say this in love, why not quit struggling with idol worship? Why not make that determination today? Say, Lord, I need your strength, I need your power, I need your wisdom. I want to get rid of these idols, I want to get rid of these gods, little G's, out of my life. I want to put you first, I want to put you back on the throne where you belong. And if that's your desire as a believer this morning, then I want to encourage you. you got to get into God's word, read God's word. you gotta, you got to recognize what's holy, and then you got to take time to reverence the Lord. You've got to read his word. You've got to recognize what's holy. Get rid of all the unholy things. Get rid of the temples. Get rid of the idols. Put them away out of your life. Some, some of us might need to burn some things. Good old-fashioned burn party. Be sure to call the fire department first. I don't want Channing calling me saying, you pastor, you told everybody. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing Channing, right? Call the fire department first. Make sure it's safe. I'm being serious. What, what is it that we're struggling with? Because I'm always, I'm always amused how people come to places of worship, not just Battlefield, they come to places of worship, and then they wonder why God's not blessing in their life. It's like, why? Well, I, I take time for worship. I actually drop my kids off to Awana. I go shopping, but I drop them off at Awana. You know we have adult Bible studies on Wednesday nights, right? Uh, I, I, I do all these things, and God's still not blessing Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. I pray that you'll give us eyes, Lord, to see ourselves just as we are. Lord, as David of old prayed, I ask you to create us, create in us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Lord, give us a new love, a, a new desire for you. God, as you cultivate that love in our hearts, God, I pray that you'll give us a fervent hatred for idols and the little gods that seem to hide in our heart. God, I pray that you'll show us our true condition, that we may, that we may fall more in love with you, that we may come to the foot of the cross where we might find forgiveness of sin. God, set us free. Set us free from our idolatrous behavior that we might worship you, that we might worship you alone. Lord, I pray for the person who may be sitting there that needs to call upon the name of the Lord for forgiveness of sin. I pray that they'll do that right now. They'll simply just call out upon the name of the Lord. They'll say, Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner and I don't understand it all and I don't... Uh, believe that I know everything, but God, I need you to forgive me. And so I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to come into my life and to change me. Lord, I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me. Jesus, I believe that you died in my place. That you were buried. I believe all these things. And I'm asking you to forgive me. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.